And last week we saw how Abraham, uh, he responded to God's grace with repentance and worship and devotion. Uh, but Lot just responded to God's grace by receiving the gifts of God and really turning those things into God. And it's so easy so, so many times in our lives to take the good things from God and then just make it all about that. Instead of being a means to worship and love God more, we turn those good gifts into God in our lives. Uh, and today we're going to see, I want, you to, I want to learn together about the grace of God's discipline. Uh, this is a message that I believe is really, really important for us to get this because so many people look at the discipline of God uh, in a way that is really harmful for you. Uh, so today we want to see a, a, a good view of God's disciplining grace, God's rescuing grace in the life of a believer. So let's go ahead and turn to our turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to read the first 16 verses of the chapter. And I'm going to warn you, these first verses are a doozy. Uh, so I need you to just like pray for me in your seat while we read through these names. But it's really important that you get these, uh, that we see what's going on with us. So Genesis 14, and we're going to start reading in verse number one. It says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Eleazar, Shedolamar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. That's verse 1, 15 more to go of this. Uh, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shina, king of Admah, and Shamiber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Shadolamar, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Shadolamar and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth Karnaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Amims in Sheva Kiriathim, and the Horites in their mount in their mount Seir unto Alperon, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishvat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwell in Hazizon Tamar. And there went out of the king. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Edmon and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidim, with Shedolamar, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, kings of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar, four kings with or against five. And the vale of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eskel and brother of Aner. And these were the confederate with Abram. When Abram heard this, that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobo, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And I want you to catch verse number 16. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dive into the text this morning. Lord, I do pray as we go through this chapter that is really, it's a, it's a unique passage of Scripture. 
uh, all of these kings that it's hard to say their names. Whenever we read it, so many times it's easy for us to just skim over uh, and just move on because this is a culture from 4,000 years ago. But Lord, I pray that as we look into the truth of this, I pray that you would do a couple of things in our lives today. First of all, I pray that you would give us an appreciation, even if we don't always enjoy, even if we don't enjoy uh, your rescuing work of discipline in our lives. We, we don't enjoy it, but I pray that you'd help us to appreciate it more as a result of today. Uh, I pray that you would give us a renewed love for God's word, even these difficult portions of scripture. And I pray that as a result of what we see in your word today, that we would love you more deeply and more fully. And I pray that you'd help us to love others better uh, in, in our lives as a result of what we find today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have it. You know, whenever it comes to discipline, and maybe for some of you, I told that story, and maybe that even brought up some, like, uh, it brought up some memories for you of, of maybe for you some abuse in your past, and whenever you think about discipline, it's something that really gets you worked up. And a lot of people take that view, a view of, like, uh, of a, whenever it comes to the discipline of the Lord, uh, a lot of people take a view of God, like God is a constantly ticked off at me kind of God who is always on the verge of flying off, of the, flying off the handle. Anytime I mess up, he's ready to just pour out his wrath on me uh, so he can let out his fury and uh, let off some steam on me. And anytime I mess up, I better watch out because he's about, to, he's about to get me. That is the view of God that a lot of people have. And it's really sad because for a believer, that is the exact opposite of what the discipline of the Lord is all about. My goal today, today I'm not even really going to be like doing a ton of like preaching. Today's, I just want to really just teach you guys a little bit. And my hope for today is that you get a much healthier view of God's discipline. And here's the reason why. Because if you can understand that for a believer, if you can understand what God's discipline in your life and in my life is all about, then even, the Bible says this, my son, despise not. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't get weary of his correction. Because the Lord loves whom he chastens. It says that, that in the moment, discipline is not pleasant. But afterwards, God is bringing about peaceable, peaceful, wonderful fruit in your life. Here's what I want you to see through this text. And what I want you to walk away thinking about the discipline of the Lord is one, God is a good God who even in his discipline, he's for you. Uh, he's for you. Uh, and the second thing is that even if you don't enjoy some of the hard things of life, uh, that you can appreciate them because of what God is doing. So at the end, I'm going to present to you, a, this, the, whenever you get this, the questions that you will ask when you go through hard things that will change everything for you. Okay? So there's one thing before we get into the text that I want to differentiate. Okay? So let me put on my professor hat instead of my pastor preacher hat. Let me put on my professor hat for a second. Whenever it comes to uh, the negative things of life, whenever it comes through difficult things that we go through, sometimes those things are the discipline of the Lord. Uh, if you want to say a spiritual spanking or a spiritual timeout, whatever language you want to put, sometimes it is that. Sometimes it is God allowing difficult things into our lives because of our foolishness. Sometimes we, have, we go through hard times simply because we're human and we live in a world where bad things happen. So the Bible says in Proverbs that it rains on the just and on the unjust. Rain can be a good thing and rain can be a not good thing. 
Whenever there's a drought, we love the rain. Whenever it is 110 degrees uh, outside, we enjoy the rain when it cools things off. Whenever it is hurricane season, uh, we don't like the rain so much, right? So it's rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. Uh, there was a time where the disciples came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, uh, Jesus, this man was born blind. Who sinned? Was it him or was it, was it his parents? And Jesus said, it's neither. Like, that's not, the way, that's not the way that I'm working. Like, you can't just assume because something's bad that it's God pouring out discipline or punishment uh, on you. That's not the way that it always works. So sometimes we experience bad things as the result of our sin, and sometimes we experience bad things just because it is the nature of life. It just, it just happens. There's one more thing that I want to differentiate before we get into this text. There is a difference. There's a huge difference between punishment and between discipline. If someone commits a crime uh, and they are put in prison, uh, that is punishment. It is punitive. Uh, it is paying a debt to society. Discipline, on the other hand, would be something very similar. And sorry if it, if, like, sometimes I use too many basketball illustrations. Um, but uh, another way is whenever I played basketball, we would have to run laps all the time. We would have to run and run and run. Every single day we started our practice with a three-mile run. That's just the way that we started practice before we did all of our line drills and all of those things. Uh, sometimes the discipline of the Lord is just to make us stronger. It's to make us more fit uh, for the life that he's calling us into. So there's discipline that is, uh, that's just to strengthen us. Uh, that we walk through difficult times sometimes. So uh, that there is discipline, and that's just for our good, for our strengthening, for our building up. And then there's punishment, which would be something similar to uh, prison. Okay, so those are two different things. And for a believer, all right, so if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you never experience the punishment of God. You never experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. Jesus took the punishment for your sin. So God does not punish you. He disciplines you for your good, to draw you to his heart, because we all tend to stray, and he brings us back to his good heart. All right, so let's go ahead and see this in Genesis 14. All right, you ready? So Genesis 14 starts off uh, with this long list of names that I just read that some of you fell asleep in while I was reading. Uh, so here is what is going on in this text. It starts off the first section of the chapter describing this war, this regional war between nine kings, between nine small nations. And I'm not going to read their names again. I did it already. Uh, but there's this war, there's this battle of these nine different kings. Uh, the side that has five uh, is the ruling side. Shadalomar uh, is the main king. He's the, he's the lead king. It says there in verse 9, he's the lead king of Elam. Uh, and he leads a nation of five different nations. So there's four kings under him. Then on the other side, there are four kings. Uh, there's the king of Sodom, and there's the king of Gomorrah, and there's, so there's two other kings. And when you look at them, I know it's easy to just run past them, but here's what you need to know about these nine kings. This is not Star Wars. This is not uh, the, the light side versus the dark side. Sorry, that's what my family's been watching uh, the last couple of weeks. This is not, you know, this is not the Jedi and the Sith. This is not good versus evil. This is just a bunch of bad dudes, a bunch of evil, uh, a bunch of evil kings who are doing a lot of just terrible things that I won't even mention because you would walk out thinking more about those terrible things that they would do uh, rather than getting the point of the text. Like these, these are just bad 
people. These are evil kings that are doing wicked things, and they are fighting against each other. Uh, because the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other two, uh, they are being oppressed by Shadalamar. So they rebel against the five kings, we'll say side A, they rebel against them, they go to war, and there's just this big, bad regional war that's going on close to where Abram and where Lot live. In the middle of this battle, it describes the battle that takes place. The side that Sodom and Gomorrah is on, the side with four armies, they're getting crushed. Uh, it's pretty fast where they start to run from the king with from the from the five side from side A, if you will. So they're running away. They get caught up in these slime pits, it says, and they kidnap them. They take all of their stuff and the spoils of war, and then they go to Sodom and Gomorrah where they take all their stuff. Here's where we get into our text with our characters: is whenever they go to Sodom and Gomorrah to take all of their stuff, to take the spoils of war, guess who's there? Lot. You remember last week how Lot decided he was, he was following God. He was going to where God had called him. But then he decided, hey, this place looks good. This is a place, Sodom is a place where I can get more stuff. And I know that it's wicked and I know that it's not good for my family. But, but I'm still going to go there because I can get more stuff. I can accumulate more if I go there. So, Sodom, so, so Lot lives in Sodom. They go to Sodom. They take his stuff. And then Lot gets placed in prison. He loses all of his stuff that God had given him back in Egypt. He loses, he loses everything. Like his family, they are now taken captive and they're taken as prisoners. Then here's what happens. This is amazing to me. Uh, so they get taken, all their spoils are taken. And then it says in verse number, let's look at verse number 13. So let's back up to verse number 12. It says, they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one, that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. This is amazing to me. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this because when the writer is writing this, he is giving us this detail that's really special. It's in the middle of all this battle where this, where this weaker side is just getting crushed, where everyone is getting imprisoned, there's one guy that just so happens to escape. Can I tell you something? This isn't, this isn't an accident that this person escapes. This isn't coincidence that this person escapes. This is God delivering this one person, and this person goes straight to Abram the Hebrew. I find it so interesting here as I'm reading the text, and we should ask these why questions a lot when we read the Bible. Because the question I'm asking is, why did this one guy run straight to Abram? Abram and Lot, they've separated. They're not together. It's not like Abram's been hanging out with Lot. It's not like they're coming to Abram saying, hey, they're coming after you next. No, Abram's far away. They, this one guy comes to Abram and he says, hey, Sodom is in trouble. They got taken captive. Lot is with them. And, and then he comes to the one person who can rescue, who can take care of Lot. Don't miss that. That is the work of God. And it's very similar to this. It's very similar to if my kid Witten the other day, I'm ironing my clothes. Uh, I'm ironing my shirt. I'm ironing my pants. And there's Witten. And Witt comes like under my feet. And he starts to like, like just, you know, he's, he's a boy. He's, he's Witt. Like you guys know him. Uh, so he starts like just playing around really close to the ironing board in the iron. So I'm like, so I said, Witt, Witt, you need to step over. Uh, move Witten, and he's just in his own world. Mm -hmm. So I got a little bit stronger. Witten, you need to move. Why am I doing that? Why am I getting strong with him? Why, why a, a flick on the wrist, if you will? Right. 
Why? Because I am letting him experience a little bit of my displeasure to save him, to protect him from future pain. To protect him from him knocking over the ironing board and a, and a hot iron falling on his face. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to let him experience discomfort. I'm going to let him experience displeasure for a moment to get his attention for his future good. So God allows Lot and his family to be taken captive for for a moment. Someone escapes. They go and get Abram, and then Abram comes to the rescue. Abram comes to the rescue. And I want you to notice this because this will change, this changed the way that I looked at God. Okay, this changed the way that I looked at God. Abram goes and he gets all of his, his little army together and he goes on a rescue mission for Lot. And this king with five sides, this five-sided, this five-nation army, Abram just goes in and he takes care of business. He wins the battle. He goes in, he saves the day, and he gets he gets Lot and his family back. But don't miss what else he gets back. In verse number 16, it says he gets all of Lot's stuff. He brings back the goods. And here's why this is important. And maybe, maybe it's not important to you, but it's certainly important to me because I view God very poorly in regards to this. The way, if I were to read this text and you were to say, Pastor, fill in the blank, how does verse 16 end? I would say, here's how verse 16 goes, if I didn't read it to you right now. I would say, God went and God got Lot and he got his family back. But in order to teach Lot a lesson, in order to teach Lot a lesson that he would never forget, God brought Lot out broke. God brought Lot out, like, God let Lot get his arm chopped off. God, God let Lot come back, but, but man, he was maimed and hobbling for the rest of his life. Like, that's the way that I would have viewed God. Like, God would say, Lot, I'm going to rescue you out, but I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. But that's not the way that God is. That's not the way that God is working in this text. God allows Lot, yes, God allows Lot to go through something very painful for a moment. So that Lot, because God is pursuing, God is chasing after Lot. And can I tell you something? That whenever we are in a position where we need God's discipline, and let me just tell you something, every single person, including me, needs God's discipline. We need God to get our attention. Because like the song says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's the tendency of all of our hearts to grow a little cold. It's the, heart, it's the tendency of all of our hearts to grow a little cynical. So whenever God steps in and even allows painful things to grab our attention, he's doing it for our good. He is doing it for your good. He's doing it for your future joy. Even in the present, in the moment, it may not feel pleasant. It may not feel joyous. You may not walk away from a difficult circumstance where you just know in your heart, like, hey, this is because I was an idiot. Sorry, maybe you don't talk that way. That's the way that I do. I can appreciate, even if it's not pleasant, I can appreciate, God, I know that you are doing this for my good. I know that you're doing this for my good. When I played basketball and we would run till we were ready to puke, I'd say, why would coach do this to us? But when we had some success, when we had some success later down the line, we said, that's why coach did that for us. So I want to leave you with this question, church family. Okay, you ready for this? This is the question that you should be asking anytime that you're going through really any difficult thing. Okay, here's an important question. Most of us ask the question when we go through a difficult time, we ask the question, God, why are you doing this 
to me? God, why are you doing this to me? And whenever we look at God's discipline as punishment, as punitive, we will ask that question. Why are you doing this to me? When I understand that God is working in my life by his grace for my good to draw me into a deeper, closer, wonderful relationship with him for my joy, then instead of asking God, why are you doing this to me? I ask God, why are you doing this for me? That's a big difference. That's a big difference. When I ask the question, God, why are you, do why are you doing this to me? Then honestly, what I do is I develop a victim mentality in my own life where I'm just viewing God as this big bad guy who's just out to get me. God, why would you do this to me? I don't deserve that. Uh, I am a victim at the hand of your unjust actions. When we ask the question, why are you doing this to me? When we say, why are you doing this to me? Then honestly, the painful things that we walk through, they just feel worse. They just feel worse. In my planner, they, they put these little, uh, I have this planner that I, that I it's my second brain. And at the top, they have these little quotes. And the, one of the quotes from yesterday uh, said, things only get harder when you go on and on about how hard it is. Things only get harder when you just think and think and think about how hard it is. Whenever we say, God, why are you doing this to me? Then all we do is we look at the problems and then we start saying, God is doing this to me and this is so bad and it's so terrible. And then we just end up depressing ourselves. And we miss out on what God is doing. When we ask the question, God, why are you doing this for me? The one, it puts us in a much better position to actually listen to God. Because if we ask the question, I have learned this over the last few years. If you ask God questions, if you'll write them down, like that's a practice. There's a spiritual practice for you. Like write down your questions to God. I find that he usually answers them. Like when I come back, it's like, oh, that's why. Not with an audible voice, but it's amazing how when we write down our questions to God, when we uh, write down our requests to God, it's amazing how he just answers those. But when I ask, why are you doing this for me, then we're in a position to listen to him. When I ask, why are you doing this for me, it puts us in a position to grow. It puts us in a position to grow. Because whenever I'm asking the question, why is this for me, then I'm looking to learn, not looking to complain. And that's vitally, vitally important. Because then you do grow. And you do change. And God makes you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's what he's always doing. We love the verse. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know what the purpose is? Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good work that he's doing is he's making you and he's making me more like Jesus. So whenever we're going through a hard time, ask the question, God, why are you doing this for me? God, what do you want me to learn through this? God, how do you want me to change and grow through this? And he'll work. He will work in your life. Okay, so you ready? I have my professor hat on today. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a professor mood today. You ready? Here's your assignment for the week. Your, here's your assignment for the week. Sit down. If you're single, take some time with a nice cup of coffee, a little notebook, and get, get alone in just some silence. Think through something difficult that you're going through. If you're married, go through it with your spouse. If you're dating, go through it with your significant other. Sit down and, 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 and talk through, like, hey, this is a difficult thing in my life. This is a hard thing in my life that I'm going through. What could God be wanting to teach me through this? What could God be wanting, to, wanting me to learn through this? Sit down this week. Right, take one hard thing in your life. 
and ask the question and think through it and pray through it. God, why are you doing this for me? And if we'll take that attitude, I believe that God will just, uh, our, the way that we grow and change and the way that he shapes our church and the image of his son, uh, it'll be like a rocket. We will grow. We will grow, like, not as a bigger church. You will grow as a believer. You will grow as a person uh, as, we, as we walk with him and as we ask those questions. As we close, let's point to the gospel. Because we always want to ask in a text, what does this text teach me about God? What does, it, what does it teach me about me? What does it teach me about the gospel? The whole reason why God is on a rescue mission for Lot is because he's good and he's gracious. By this point, if you were God, if I was God, we'd say, forget this fool. He can be on his own. But that's not God. God is on a rescue mission for Lot. And the reason why he's doing a good work but a hard work in Lot's life is because he cares for Lot. And the reason why you and I can experience the discipline of the Lord and not the punishment of the Lord is because all of the punishment was taken for you and for me by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it. All of the wrath of God was satisfied at the cross. So that means that whenever he's doing a hard work in my life that's not pleasant, it's out, it is out of love, not out of retaliation. And that's the God that you serve. That's the God that I serve. If you know Jesus, that's who your father is. He's a God who loves you. He's a God who loves you too much to let you proceed in foolishness. He's going to do what he needs to do uh, to, catch your, to catch your heart's attention. But he's not doing it out of hate. He's not doing it out of anger. He's not doing it to let off steam. He's just doing it to draw you closer to himself because he's good. Because he's good. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And Lord, I do pray uh, that you would help us to always look at, at the hard things of life. And sometimes it is because we were foolish. Sometimes it is because of our sin. Sometimes it's just because it's life. But everything in our lives, you promise to take them and to work them in our lives to make us more like Jesus. So I pray that you would help us in our lives to, to look at the hard things, to look at the disciplining, to look at the strengthening things in our lives. And to ask the question, God, why are you doing this for me? Why are you doing this for me? Instead of having a victim mentality that says, God, why are you doing this to me? Because that's not your heart. Your heart for the believer is that we would be drawn closer to you uh, by your grace. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember that. I pray that you'd help us to live this out. And I pray that you'd help all of us to take a, a small step of growth as a result of what we learn in Jesus' name. If you would please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. And I'd just like for you to take a moment and take a moment and to actually put what we talked about into practice. Would you take one minute, think about something difficult that is going on in your life, or maybe take something that you have already something difficult that has already happened in your life. And if you look at the past, think how God was working through it. If you're going through something really difficult right now, just take a second in your seat. Ask God, God, why are you doing this for me? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow through this? Take a moment in your seat. I'm going to step to the back. If I can pray with you, if you need prayer, then I would love to do so, and then we'll, we'll close the service.
Father, thank you for the work of grace that you do in our lives. Lord, I pray that you just mold us and shape us uh, to be more like Jesus, to be people uh, of, of love, people who make a difference in our community because we are people who are uh, walking in step with you. We're seeking to learn and grow from, from you. And Lord, I pray that you'd remind all of us that you are not a nasty, hateful dictator. You're a good father who cares, who cares for us. May we walk with you uh, as a result of seeing how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together, church family. Let's sing. We're going to sing that first song that we sang, a verse uh, together, and then you'll be dismissed. I love you guys. I love you guys. Don't forget about the announcements. And uh, let's worship together, and then you'll be dismissed. sing out to our good father this morning you give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and grace